0: Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching the 86th episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. Today, we are going to talk about Saturday's games. Tomorrow, come back and we're going to talk about Sunday's games. Today, we're going to talk about Yale, UMass. That was a great game. We're going to talk about Penn State, Penn, Johns Hopkins, and Princeton, and Notre Dame and Maryland. Before I get into that, I wanted to say a quick word about our sponsor, Sideline Swap. Best place to buy and sell lacrosse gear, hard to find college gear, pre owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more. Up to 70% off retail, list gear collecting dust in your garage, and Sideline Swap will send you a prepaid label when it sells. Go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below. All right. Oh, and then always be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, really smash that like button. That helps get the video out. And then you can share this with your friends to kind of spread the word. Let's get into this though. Number one, Yale against UMass. There were two glaring issues with Yale in this upset loss. First half turnovers killed them, and then just turnovers in general killed them. Yale coughed the ball up 11 times in the first half. That's terrible. And then the Yale goalies couldn't make saves to save their lives. Star actually had a slightly better second half than the other kid did, but uh, the Yale goalies are are a problem at this point. And they've been a problem for Yale legitimately over the last two years, even. Uh, It's not like Star was lighting the world on fire as Yale won the national championship. And then he he could have been better uh, in the playoffs last year as well. TD dominated the face-offs over the first half. However, UMass scored their 10th goal of the first half to take a 10-2 lead. That ensuing face-off, UMass won that face-off and then had about a one-minute possession before scoring again to end the first half at 11-2, which was really a kind of a, ugh, that hurts when you're sitting there trying to chip back and just go into the half 10-3 knowing you could make up seven goals. Uh, to have that 11th goal scored after you lose a face-off, which is something that you just normally don't do. That that had to hurt a little bit uh, Yale's psyche. Yale came out, though, in the third quarter. They scored the first four goals of the third. They did that because of improved ride. They rode the crap out of UMass for a bit. Uh, they got some defensive stops. They hit a post. Uh, Jack Starr had two saves over that stretch. So Yale finally takes their heads out of their asses. Uh, they start chipping away at the UMass lead, and it's 12-7 by the end of the third quarter. So things are not looking too bad for Yale by the end of the third, considering what it was at halftime. Fourth quarter, TD wins the opening face-off. Yale goal. UMass turned the ball over on a clear again. Yale goal. And now we're at 12-9. Giddy up, people. And then UMass ends up with a 3-minute and 14-second uh, possession where they hit a post. They take a wide shot, shot high before scoring their 13th goal of the game. That gives them a 13-9 lead. And that was pretty much it. Uh, a goalkeeper, a freshman goalkeeper for UMass, Matt Note. He comes up huge with five saves after Yale got to within 13-10. So Yale gets scored to 13-10 and this freshman goalie then makes five saves throughout the rest of the game. That was huge for UMass. And what a dumbass I am. I picked Yale by a margin. UMass had themselves a game. They took care of the ball. They put their shots on cage. And it was and, and the Yale goalies were completely incapable of saving anything and they played defense. Serious defense, in fact, causing 12 of Yale's 25 turnovers by simply just getting after the Bulldogs for a full four quarters. For UMass, Billy Philpot four and one. Jeff Trainer two and two. Kevin Tobin, two goals and three cause turnovers. Uh, Jack Dulock and Adam Toey, two cause turnovers. Matt Note, 12 saves versus 10 goals against. For Yale, Godat was uh, five goals. Morrill and Brandau were one and two and Yale's goalies sucked. That was the difference in this game. UMass, beats number one. The next game I wanted to talk about, Penn State, number two against number six, Penn. Now, Penn State needed a big day out of both Gerard Arceri, which they didn't get, and out of Kobe Kinnis, which they got, and it was huge. Kinnis, Sure as shit comes up with 18 saves on the day to help Penn State keep pace with a lightning hot Penn offense. And Penn's offense was hot without Sam Handley, their leading scorer from the previous year. I believe Sam Handley was their leading scorer. If he wasn't, man, he was right up there because he was one of the leading scoring midfielders in the country. Penn, they put 22 shots on cage over the course of the second half and Canese was there to save 11 of them and 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 that, that really helped keep Penn State in the game when Penn was just on fire and just offensively just started clicking for the first time overall. So that ends up being enough to force OT. And then what happens there is Mac O'Keefe takes a feed from Jack Kelly on a kind of broken ball, fast break transition situation. And he stings the OT winner and they escaped a scary one on the road out of the uh, Penn Quakers. And actually, uh, O'Keefe he was being face guarded the entire game and he did a great job of just letting the game come to him. He actually dodged a little bit more to try to create for himself. So I was pleased to see what uh, O'Keefe would do when a team did a really good job of trying to bottle him up and and doing a really good job of bottling Matt O'Keefe up. He still puts up four goals, a helper, and scores the game winner in overtime. Keys for Penn. This is the big key for Penn. And this is why Penn was in this game in the first place. I forgot about Kyle Gallagher. At one point, I was saying last week that I thought Arseri would come into this game and merc Penn on faceoffs. I completely forgot that Gallagher was still there. I thought Gallagher had graduated. Gallagher was the reason Penn was solid last year at the face-off dot and why they were able to beat Yale. So Gallagher goes 26 of 39 from the face-off dot for Penn. That's monster against a very, very good Gerard Arseri. So he proved to be the difference. That was enough to help disrupt Penn State's offensive flow. If it wasn't for him, Penn State puts up 20 in this game is this was a shootout. You know what I mean? So the fact that he was able to keep the ball out of Penn State's hands, keep the ball out of Amen's hands, keep uh, O'Keefe from getting fed, uh, that helped their defense a great deal throughout this game and helped them limit O'Keefe and at you know into what what uh, amet was two and two O'Keefe was four and one so they're just lucky that those two didn't put up eight points each uh so that was huge good job by Kyle, Kyle Gallagher there Sean Lully two and seven Dylan Gergar five and one they paced Penn who without Sam Handley uh, I didn't figure they would have as, as nearly as as big of an out. Uh, offensive outpouring as they did, but they did great. Birkinshaw shaky and cage, but you're going to have that against a great shooting team and a team that can just score nine deep. I mean, I forget who said it. It was in the U.S. lacrosse article. I think it was uh, uh, the Penn coach had said that when you're dealing with a team like Penn State, they have nine guys on their roster capable of putting up hat-tricks, and that is the truth. So, uh, Birkinshaw, no reason to hang his head low outside of he came up one save short, and that being the game-winner that he gave up to O'Keefe. Good shot, though. It was from O'Keefe's money spot. Left wing, fast break, you know, there's nothing you can do hands-free. Penn State, they got a great day out of O'Keefe, four and one. Line mate Amet was quiet on the day, consistently being hounded by defenders on his hands. He was just two and two. Trainer put up four goals. And then a couple of the other Penn State guys that you would expect to show, they did as well. But the player of the game for Penn State, in my opinion, definitely Kobe Knies. He stood on his head for the Nittany Lions. And he's the big reason that they were able to overcome that huge possession deficit and win this game because he had a great game in cage. Next game I want to talk about. Johns Hopkins against Princeton at Princeton. Princeton now ranked number eight at four, uh, three and oh, I think, before this game. Hopkins, they took a one-goal lead. Zinn, Evan Zinn scores unassisted. Zinn has looked really good at times this year. He forces some bad shots at times and throws the ball away here and there, but he reminds me of a Brendan Curry, tall, lanky, rangy midfielder that can shoot on the run. I like the kid. Uh, but then Mike Sowers took over. Sowers either assisted or scored seven of Princeton's nine first-half goals. He assisted the first three, Princeton goals. Then he assisted the fifth, scored the sixth, assisted the seventh, and scored the eighth. The dude finished the first half with two goals and seven helpers. Can anyone say this kid isn't the the complete and utter front runner for the Twarton right now? Even Amet isn't close at this point if he keeps his pace up and Amet doesn't start doing the same. Game overall was never close. Epstein did play. He goes for two and two. Cole Williams did nothing. He had an assist. Prouder and Naruski, they won 21 of 33 face-offs for Hopkins. So that is a bright spot for Hopkins. Once they get Epstein back to healthy, if these guys can continue to win face-offs, that may help them. But the Hopkins offense couldn't get the ball past Eric Peters. Eric Peters in cage for Princeton. Uh, I believe he's a freshman. He put up 15 saves on the day. And then the Princeton defense also forced Hopkins into nine of their 11 turnovers. Not a lot of turnovers, but to have nine of the 11 forced, that's pretty high. Sowers finishes the game two and seven. So he didn't score again in the second half, but he didn't really need to. Connor McCarthy, five goals. Alexander Verdaro, four goals. Chris Brown, two and one. That's a quiet day for Brown. Epstein, two and two. Owen Murphy, three goals. Evans in two goals. Hopkins goalkeeping was rough. Darby got roughed up pretty good over the course of the first 40 minutes before having a seat. So Hopkins, they're going to continue to struggle. They're having, I still think they're doing better defensively. Uh than we expected them to offensively, they have just been terrible without a healthy Epstein, so hopefully getting Epstein back getting Epstein back will help them rattle off some wins, but man, their schedule does not get any easier for the rest of the year. uh all right, last game we're gonna talk about Notre Dame and Maryland, and this game. Maryland did a lot of weird things where uh, Justin Shockey was a healthy scratch last game they bring him back he takes every face off in this game and delivers uh they end up having uh they end up benching uh their starting goalkeeper um Brandau uh, in favor for Logan Mcnaney, he ends up having a great game. The game seesawed back and forth the entire time, like most of us most of us expected it would. Maryland they jump out to an early lead. Notre Dame battles back and took a four three lead halfway through the second quarter before giving way to Maryland, and then it ends up being seven five Terps at the half. Now Notre Dame comes back again, ties this game up at sevens off a of Mikey Drake unassisted goal with ten fifty one in the third, and then Maryland just started the slow burn from there. And this is what we see, Maryland. We every wondered what was Maryland going to look like if they put a full four quarters together this is what they look like they come out and they dismantle a very good high quality Notre Dame team that can both score goals and defend well so we got a complete game top to bottom out of Maryland for the first time all season um Maltz so the, the game's tied at sevens and this is where Maryland had typically been starting to falter because they couldn't put the full game together and after it's uh Tied at sevens with 1051 left. Maltz was nowskiss and long. They score the next three goals of the game. The Maltz goal was off a ride. Bernhardt forced a, uh, I think it was Bern. No. Um I don't I forget. Uh either way, Bernhardt, I know, picked up a loose ball off a ride. I forget who turned who caused the turnover. It wasn't Bernhardt. It was somebody else. And um and and, and then Maltz ends up scoring the goal. So either way, I'm I'm flubbing this one here bad, but it was their ride. It was their relentlessness. And they just, Maryland just never gave up and just kept coming at Notre Dame. Maryland on paper, they totally outplayed the Irish. They outshot Notre Dame 64 to 31, only 30 to 19 of uh, actual shots on cage. But still, 30 to 19 uh, outshooting your opponent by 11 shots on cage, that's impressive. Notre Dame was 18 of 23 clearing the ball. Maryland was a perfect 21 of 21. Uh, Maryland dominated the faceoffs with Shockey winning 18 of 26 draws. He took every single draw, and that's impressive because Charles Leonard was coming off a great game, his last game, and he is a solid face-off guy. For, so for for Shockey to get his job back and then come out and murk Leonard like he did, that's a huge deal. Logan Wisnowskis, five goals. Jared Bernhardt, two and two. Daniel Maltz, one and three. Maltz is emerging as a legitimate offensive threat. They kept Costa quiet. He goes 2-1. and one. Maryland defense kept the clamps down on everyone for the most part in this game. Liam Enteman for Notre Dame. He goes for 16 saves, so he played really solid, and without his effort, this game doesn't even look as good as it did for Notre Dame. And then Logan McNaney for Maryland. Freshman. First freshman to start in cage for Maryland since freaking Nico Amato. That's going back some time. He goes for 10 saves against 9 goals against in his first career start, so that was great. In the end, though, Maryland, as I kept saying, don't worry about Maryland. They're going to be fine. They're going to get better. This is what happens when Maryland uh, plays a full game. They can beat anybody. Notre Dame is a high quality team. They're going to be fine. They'll rebound after this, but Neither of these team schedules get any easier from here. So they're going to want to make sure they take care of their business as they play their next couple of games, uh, non-conference games, before they get into conference play. And uh, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, Be sure to come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about uh, Sunday's games. Cornell is playing. Virginia's playing. So Cornell, Ohio State, that's a big game. Virginia's playing. And then I think Duke plays as well on Sunday. So we'll talk about those in Tuesday's show. You're watching this on Monday. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Really share this with, with as many people as you can and as always, go to sidelineswap.com, our sponsor, or you can hit the link in the description below and go to sidelineswap and get yourself some sweet used gear. You can also go to laxfactor.com, buy yourself some swag, hats, t-shirts, polos, whatever, Uh, and uh, that is it. Thank you for watching, and I will be back tomorrow to recap Sunday's games. Thank you and enjoy.